You're listening to Revenge of the Drive-In, the podcast where we watch and discuss two movies randomly selected from a list of over 1,700. This week we are talking about The Invisible Man Returns, as well as the long-anticipated and frequently hinted at Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity. I'm your host, Patrick, and I am joined here by... Jim, hello, everybody. All right, we've got a couple of science fiction thrillers, high... Energy, high intensity, high silicone, at least for one of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you can say that yeah, again, uh, for sure. <laughs> anyways, uh, Jim, you want to get us started on The Invisible Man Return? So, uh, Invisible Man Returns, 1940 is when it came out. Very it's long time ago. our first movie from the 40s. We've done several from the 30s, several from the 50s. This has been our missing decade here because i only have too many 40s movies mostly like sequels to to the classic universal monsters and stuff like that so yeah and we're starting off with a pretty good one i'd say for the 40s anyways right at the beginning of the decade who was it directed by again it was directed by what was it john i no. think joe may is the guy's name i looked him up there was nothing super incredible about his directing career he was german though he came from germany i don't know if he fled germany but he did come to america from germany in 33 okay i would say that he was fleeing germany he was he was big in the german directing scene and directing schools but when he got to america he didn't do too many high profile things this was probably one of the biggest one of the co-writers too of this movie one of the screenwriters is kurt siadmak or siadmak i'm not sure how to pronounce that but i'm familiar Mm -hmm. with him because he did a lot of the Universal monster movies of the 40s. I think he wrote The Wolfman. He's also from Germany originally. Again, don't really know the background that brought him to the United States. But he he wrote the novel Donovan's Brain, which is like somewhat of a classic of like oh. science fiction and horror. So he's, uh, I don't know if this is one of his first American films, but it's one yeah, of them. Yeah, really interesting. <laughs> I guess there's not really too many notable people in this movie. I... Uh... As with all these movies, I'm really not very familiar with that kind of that You've got era a of Hollywood cast actors. Here. Well, I, you know, I, I was looking some of them up, and uh, some of them were starring in many, many movies or were big character actors that were in a lot of movies, but I hadn't really heard of any. Okay, uh, yeah, I mean, we've than, got a Sir in the cast, so that's yes, we did. Yes, uh, Sir Cedric or Cedric Hardwick. He's in a lot of the Universal Monster movies, he was like a mm. renowned theater actor long before he ever started working on film. But he he's a big name. And then obviously Vincent Price in his, he's he becomes the first actor to be featured in four films on our podcast. So congratulations yep. to him. <laughs> uh, be sure to check that off of your Revenge of the Drive-In bingo card. Yeah. You know, I had my money on Linnea Quigley myself. I was going to say, if you get a bingo, you get... Uh... You get it like a year subscription for free, even though I'm pretty sure this is all free. So, never mind. Well, yeah, uh, uh, Cedric, I wanted to call him Cedric Diggory. What's his name again? Hardwick. That's it, yeah. He was in all kinds of friggin' films. Holy moly. Like The Hunchback of Notre Dame, or Notre Dame. Which version? 39? Uh, y- no, 40. 40 oh yeah sorry sorry 39 39 yes yeah that's okay that's one yeah that's the that's the charles lawton one that one's pretty good he was in the ghost of frankenstein alongside our favorite lon chaney jr and bella lugosi he was in les mis the one from 35 of course king solomon's mines 37 the keys of the kingdom 44 
Hitchcock's Rope. He Is he? Was, yeah, I yeah. I remember that. Uh, he was in Richard the Third, fifty five. Yeah, I remember that. He's um I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but it's great. Oh he oh he's uh King Edward the Fourth, so he's the um okay. Yeah, and I I mean I recognized him from, from the Ten Commandments. Vincent Price also is in the Ten Commandments in in about ninety seconds of that film. <laughs> I think he plays like a slave driver or something. I guess let's get into it. Other than some really cool smoky letters for a for a title screen, which was genuinely impressive, or it genuinely impressed me. We open on the Radcliffe Manor in the servants' quarters. They're discussing the soon-to-be-dead Sir Geoffrey Radcliffe, who's played by Vincent Price. Uh, he's to be hanged for murdering his brother Michael. But something fishy's going on. These servants don't really believe he did it. Upstairs, Helen Mason, who is Geoffrey Radcliffe's romantic Fiance? interest. Fiancé, I, I think. Is, is she okay? If they're always fiancés in these in these Universal <laughs> monster movies, aren't they? Like Frankenstein, so, yeah. the Invisible Man, I think is a fiancé. I mean, I, th- I think they're always fiancés. I feel yeah, like trust it. the Wolfman is the only one off the top of my head that I can think of that has like a uh, ground up romance where he meets the woman in the movie. You know. So Helen is his fiancé. She's upset because Jeffrey's going to be put to death. And there's a fellow named Richard Cobb, who is Sir Cedric Diggory, and I know it's Hardwick. And uh, he's attempting to kind of console her and help her get over Jeffrey. <laughs> and then Dr. Griffin walks in. He is the brother of Claude Rains, right? Right, From the yeah, original yeah. Invisible Man. And he says he's going to go see Jeffrey in prison, which he's in, he's in Scotland, I think, right? And I love... <laughs> I love this shot. They cut to the prison. It's like Prison of Scotland or something. And it's just like this ugly looking concrete building. I'm like, ah, yes. Scotland. Oh, my, my favorite <laughs> one of those kinds of things, though, is in Silent Night, Deadly Night, when they when they go to visit Grandpa and he's just being held at Utah Mental Facility or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's great. <laughs> so Dr. Griffin visits Jeffrey. We don't see any of, of the visit. But when the guards come in to hang out with Jeffrey, he takes his clothes off and disappears. Right. And we hear all about all of this when Detective Sampson, good old Dick Sampson, is put on the case from Scotland Yard. And he immediately knows that Dr. Griffin has something to do with this stunt. Uh, he is well aware of the original Invisible Man. Right. I have a few things to say about this. First off, let's talk about Inspector Sampson. This is Cecil Kellaway. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's who's an actor who I'm familiar with from one Twilight Zone episode. He's in the episode Elegy, which came out in probably 59 or 60. It was an early Twilight Zone episode, so about 20 years after this. He looks like an old man in both things. You, you would think they were <laughs> shot around the same time. Okay, yeah. He's great in both things I've seen him in. I, maybe I've seen him in some other things, too. I don't know. But, you know, in, in, in the Twilight Zone, he plays a uh, an alien like kindly caretaker of a alien cemetery uh, it's okay. a really great episode you'll have to see it but he, he plays like kindly old gentleman gentleman who has this like darker edge to him that's revealed later here i love him he's just the the like this confident bright detective guy and he doesn't take any shit from anyone he's kind of witty kind of funny too mm-hmm. um he's he's really good he's he's probably my favorite actor in this movie 
And then also, I just want to say, I think this movie misses a bit of an opportunity in terms of it, it seems like it takes a while to get going, even though it really doesn't. I think because we essentially have, if you've ever seen the film The Fugitive, uh, or I <laughs> yeah. guess I suppose the television show The Fugitive, but the Harrison Ford movie is the one I'm familiar with. We basically have the same plot as that in this movie. It's just with an invisible man and there's nobody with just one arm. <laughs> But (laughs) I think it would have been so much cooler if we start with the escape from prison. And if we didn't have like, I I, I think the whole, the servants kind of talking about like, oh, I don't really think he could have done it. I I think that that would be so much more engaging if that, if we learn that information later. And so kind of right off the bat, we're following this guy and we don't know if we should be rooting for him or not. I don't know. That's just my thoughts. I thought... This first act was a little kind of dull and unengaging. You know, and I agree with you because as soon as you introduce that glimmer of hope for the main character, the the seemingly evil, awful, murderous main character, you realize, oh, well, he obviously didn't do it. You know, like, you, you yeah, know exactly I mean, I mean, they to. offshoot it a little bit later when he's getting pissed at the dog and everything. And you're supposed yeah. to kind of be like, OK, is that his Na- is that his normal nature coming through or is that the disease or you know not the disease but the the side effect of the invisibility cloak to keep with the Harry Potter references here <laughs> Oh I love you Patrick you're my But favorite. I just I just don't think it's done as well as it could be really I I totally wholeheartedly agree with that Well let's step back to the the detective for a second because I agree with you he's probably my favorite character and I think probably the best actor in this. Yeah, it's an enjoyable performance just all around. The second scene he's in, uh, when he approaches Dr. Griffin in his lab to kind mm-hmm. of question him on, on the invisibility drug and stuff, and, and uh, Christ, what's his name now? Uh, Jeffrey. I love how he walks in, lights the cigar, yeah, and just starts kind of blowing smoke, and you immediately know what he's doing. And and, yeah. and it's funny too because he's all around these like scientific chemicals and stuff, and you yeah. probably shouldn't. <laughs> you probably shouldn't light anything anywhere near this stuff. No, but, no. Yeah, but no, I like d- it. He's he's clever. He he um he knows what happened in the first movie, and he knows. Mm-hmm. I want to say the the first movie. I don't think they really do a whole. I know the Invisible Man smokes in one scene, but I don't think they ever really track him down by smoke. But they like catch him in the rain and in the snow and. But here, this is just like kind of a new method. I think it's a new method. I don't remember. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's still a few cats in this movie. That at least carried over from the first one. Yeah, but they don't kill any by pouring a bucket of black paint <laughs> on it. Um, that, that was one of the funnier yeah. moments in the original yeah. Invisible Man. Uh, poor cat. But you're right. Detective Samson, he's very quick and clever. Sometime after, Detective Samson stops in to talk to Dr. Griffin we cut to a little cottage somewhere. I think it's like the gameskeeper's cottage of whatever estate. And Helen is waiting for uh, Jeffrey to show up. I gotta say, his Invisible Man costume, Vincent Price's Invisible Man costume, yeah. is way less exciting than that of okay. Claude Rains. Now, is that, though, is that just the presentation? Because the first time we see the Claude Rains Invisible Man, he's got the jacket on, he's been wandering out in the cold winter air and he's just 
mysterious and here we we kind of already know what's going on i think it could just be that but i but i sort of agree with you too yeah well he's also wearing uh, vincent price pardon is actually wearing motorcycle goggles or something whereas oh okay claude rains has those really cool sunglasses he, yeah more like the blind wears. person glasses yeah. those kinds of things the things that he looks creepy. that ralphie got... wears in his dream yeah. in a christmas story <laughs> after um he's been blinded by soap poisoning yeah <laughs> <laughs> and he's also and like claude rains also had that creepy wig or that not a creepy wig but that wig on that poked through his bandages which made him look oh deranged. yeah there was just a little bit of hair there yeah that was that was pretty cool so that's that's where i stand on on vp's costume and i would just like to say i mean we don't get a lot of continuity with the invisible man character as far as the universal monster movies go i mean i suppose this is a different character mm-hmm. than he was but you know, this is a weird series, the Invisible Man series, because the original, it's a sci-fi horror movie. It has, obviously, comedic elements. This one I wouldn't really call a horror movie. It's like a murder mystery no. thriller. Yeah, with, with a fair amount of comedic elements. Yeah, there's still some comedy. The, the Invisible Woman is like an all-out slapstick comedy. The Invisible <laughs> Agent is a, you know, made-during-World-War-II spy thriller where they have the Invisible Man, like, trying to steal plans from the Nazis or something. And then they did The Invisible Man's Revenge, which was kind of like a return to horror. That was like, I, that's probably the only movie that I would say is, is is truly a horror movie other than the original Invisible Man. Then there's, of course, Abbott mm-hmm. and Costello meet The Invisible Man. You know, that that's a classic <laughs> one. That's probably the second best Invisible Man movie from the Universal <laughs> Shut series. Shut up. <laughs> it's a great movie. I'll take your there's, word there's for a, it. There's a <laughs> scene with The Invisible Man helping, uh, which one's the fat one? Is that... Abbott I think it's Abbott but Abbott is I like boxing so. someone and he doesn't throw a punch and the invisible man just beats the shit out of the guy it's great it's really fun <laughs> it does sound great <laughs> well getting back to this invisible man movie the scene where Jeffrey and Helen are in the cottage is where we kind of get an explanation of what's actually going on mm-hmm. Vincent Price explains that he's been made invisible by Dr. Griffin or, or we kind of piece that together well, she, yeah, because she she knew about this. Like when he shows up, she's not like yeah. surprised that he's in bandages. Like she was in no, on this no, plan. No, no, no. She she was waiting for him. And the whole point of these three working together is they are attempting to exonerate Jeffrey because right. he's being held in prison for murder, as as we've already discussed. And he's trying to fig- find out who the real killer is, so he doesn't have to get hanged mm-hmm. or hung. Hanged? It's hanged, right? Hanged. Yeah. So Jeffrey nods off to sleep. He's resting in the safe house. And while he's doing that, we see Dr. Griffin testing the invisibility drug or the un-invisibility drug on some invisible guinea pigs, which I really oh, like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're working on the, the antidote, I think is the word that they use. The effects of the invisible guinea pigs, I like they're super simple, but they look really good. You know what I mean? I, th- I think overall the effects in this movie on par with what we see in the original i think there's some parts that are like really creative particularly at the end but i mean it's it's a well made um film from a technical special effects standpoint well back at the cottage this bumbling constable barges his way into the house all because the gameskeeper's dog really hates vincent price and was barking at him the whole time right the constable discovers Jeffrey upstairs with Helen. He runs downstairs, calls Detective Sampson, but by the time the detective gets there, Jeffrey's already stripped down and disappeared. 
I'm I'm gonna say too because Jeffrey is rude to the police when they when they show up. He's in the right here. They yeah. they don't have a warrant. They don't have any kind of probable cause to enter just because a dog is barking. I don't think. I mean, I, who knows? <laughs> I don't in think so. 1940 Britain, who knows? Uh, you'd think they'd have better things to do, like duck and cover from all the bombing yeah. raids. But <laughs> yeah. you know, whatever. When Jeffrey flees the cottage, he heads to Dr. Griffin's lab. He gets some blood taken so Griffin can try to get an antidote made. Oh, I like that, how they have, like, trouble finding a, a vein. I think that's yeah. a nice, nice little detail I like. I mean, it's not important, but it, it lends a little bit of realism to the situation. Well, and I like when he draws the blood, it's also invisible, and he has to add, like, coloring to it to see it. While Jeffrey is at Griffin's lab... A drunk Mr. Spears comes in to complain to the doctor. Oh, I guess I should explain who Mr. Spears is. He is like the new... I think the film should explain a little better. I, I know, I know. It's it's a little confusing, but the long and short of it is he is like the new boss at the coal mining... He's like the new worker's supervisor at the coal mining facility. Oh, and you know who this actor is, right? No. It's Alan Napier. He's he plays Alfred in the original um, 1960s oh, Batman does. show. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is a very good movie for like character actors. There's a few like Cecil Calloway, Alan Napier, Cedric Hardwick, character actor. At this point, Vincent Price was a character actor. I mean, he he became a star later on. But yeah, it's a good good character actor movie. It is. Yeah. But this guy, Mr. Spears, this supervisor, he comes in pissed drunk to complain to the doctor that no one's working in this crumbling cave-in prone mine when he leaves jeffrey follows because he realizes hey this nobody who doesn't deserve the supervisory job got promoted pretty quickly he must know something about uh the death of my brother so we get this invisible hijink scene and it's not near uh, none of the invisible hijink scenes or like invisible chase scenes in this movie are as good as that invisible hijink scene from the original i think anyways i would agree but this this is my favorite scene in the movie um when he pulls over the car and just starts tormenting him and haunting him like that <laughs> it's it's fun yeah. it's not as fun as it was in the invisible man and i think some of that is uh vincent price's vocal performance like um mm-hmm. Last time we talked about Vincent Price, we were talking about The Fly, and you were not a fan of his performance in that movie, but I defended him. I am not a fan of his performance in this movie. I think his, um, you know, he's never, I mean, he's not the monster, the villain that Claude Rains was, but even when he's trying to uh, torment people like this guy here, he's not that threatening, and he's also not as funny as Claude Rains. And no, yeah, I yeah, don't know. Right. He's just like he's like okay at best. This is is kind of a lacking Vincent Price performance in my opinion. I feel like the issue was in this movie that a lot of either actors or well, I guess really actors face today and that's that they had to record his dialogue separately, right? I would assume. Well, cer- I mean c- certainly in this scene because he's not even there, but yeah. even in the scenes when he's bandaged, you're probably right. Yeah, and I just feel like he probably had difficulty acting in that way, in much in the same way that famously or rather infamously Ian McKellen had a breakdown on the set of The Hobbit uh, when it was just him in front of a green screen and surrounded okay. by all these like dwarves, which were just 
sticks with masks taped to them and they had like flashing lights behind them so he was supposed to turn and look and act okay <laughs> uh without all of these actors and he, he he shouted this is not acting or something and he stormed off set okay <laughs> <laughs> that's it that's that's that story uh where did we leave off oh yeah 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 vincent price is roughing up mr spears He's fiddling with the car. I don't know any car stuff, but he's fiddling with the engine. He's lifting the hood and stuff. He chases Spears into the woods or makes Spears run into the woods out of out of fright. And then he, like, chokes him with his scarf. He dr- plops his face in a puddle, and then he starts choking him. He breaks him the stick in half. I love that shot. That's my favorite yeah, shot. Yeah, that's, that's a really great shot. But he scares Spears so badly that he gets confession from Spears. Spears knows that Michael was killed by Richard Cobb. He spooks the truth out of him. Yeah, and Cobb was the one that promoted Spears to keep him quiet. And Cobb was also one at the beginning of the movie talking to Helen. Cedric Hardwick. Yes. Which, by the way, great John Wick porn parody name. <laughs> John I just Hardwick? I I'd throw that out there. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good one. I mean, there's probably <laughs> one called John Dick, but I'm just offering an alternative here. Well, I mean, another good one would be, like, The Rock. It would just be The Cock, right? Or, like, you could just use The Rock also as a porn parody. That's The Nicolas Cage movie? From yeah, I was going to say, would it be 90s? just a parody of, <laughs> of the Nicolas Cage-Sean Connery movie? <laughs> the Cock. I'll be the one who goes home and fucks the prom queen. <laughs> I don't want a 90-year-old Sean Connery anywhere near anyone that goes to high school. <laughs> Goddamn Jerry oh. Seinfeld over here. Wait, Jerry Seinfeld, what, wait, what, what happened with Jerry, Jerry Seinfeld? Jerry Seinfeld, like, at the height of his fame, married someone who was, like, 18. Oh, my God. When he God, was, like, in really? his mid-30s. Really? That's disgusting. They used to joke that, like, he, they got married in between science and math class or something like that. That's disgusting. Why would you joke about that? <laughs> I mean, because <laughs> he's a comedian and he's a fucking creep. So. I don't know. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, speaking of creeps. So Woody Allen steps up into this movie. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. That's also, great. Joe That's... May was an alias for Roman Polanski. No, it wasn't, was it really? No. Roman oh. Polanski was like probably five years old when this movie came out. Oh, you fucker. You got me. <laughs> Again, I'm so gullible. God damn it. Polanski's Polish. Joe May is German, Austrian, something like that, right? Oh, they didn't get along. <laughs> anyway, speaking of people not getting along, Jeffrey lets Spears run back to his house where he then ties him up to keep him out of the way and to eventually take him to the coal mine, which we see later on. So Jeffrey makes his way to Cobb's house after this. He confronts Cobb about the murder of his brother while Helen's in the room. And naturally, Cobb denies it. And we get this <laughs> great shot where Vincent Price is sitting in a chair and Cobb like whips a marble bust at him. <laughs> And it hits him, and they start shooting at Jeffrey, and Cobb runs down the stairs, firing his pistol off, and he runs right into Detective Sampson, who himself nearly catches Jeffrey when his cigar smoke uh, mm-hmm. silhouettes Jeffrey, I guess, if, if, if I could use that term. Sure. But here's the really interesting part, and it, and it gave me the Invisible Man, the original Invisible Man vibes. It's pouring rain outside, so Jeffrey can't escape because the house is surrounded by constables who almost shoot him. And inside, these cops are decked out in these, like, awesome 
gas mask constable suits and they're spraying <laughs> smoke all over the house. I love how they do this without giving um, the fiance a heads up even. And yeah. they just like, there's <laughs> yeah. like, there's already the house is like covered in mustard gas and they're like, hey, you need to get out of here. It's like, um, <laughs> what the hell? This is, <laughs> yeah. this is very irresponsible yeah, police work here. Yeah, they just show up and they're like, hey, by the way, we're gassing this place. I know you're on the other side of this house, <laughs> so you got to walk through the gas. Thanks. But uh, Jeffrey knocks out one of these cops and puts all of his gear on and he blends in. He escapes by carrying a a, faint, a fake fainted Helen out yeah, to the front door. Yeah, he tells her to faint, which is, which is neat. I like, I like that. It's clever. Yeah, it's, it's it's a clever little uh, little escape plan. So he then heads to Dr. Griffin's house where he just kind of waits for Dr. Griffin and Helen, who's at the lab, at the coal mine, for whatever reason. They show up, and clearly Vincent Price is turning a little insane because if you remember from the first movie, the invisibility drug makes you go insane. Right. And I really like this scene because Vincent Price is kind of ranting and raving about being able to rule the world and sit in on, sit in on like political meetings and and behind closed doors with with the monarchy and stuff like that. Be able to get a confession out of OJ once and for all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I also want to point out this is kind of the plan, the world domination plan in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, another Sean Connery movie and Invisible Man movie. Yeah, I was going to say the Invisible Man's in that, right? I haven't seen that movie and I've never seen it all the way through. I think I told you this. We Yeah. We probably talk about this in our Doctor No commentary track, but that that movie is more interesting for the behind the scenes stuff because it is what got Sean Connery to retire and apparently he retired <laughs> pretty much just because he hated the director that much and then the director yeah. also stopped working in hollywood after that because he hated sean connery that much classic it's a, sean. it's a movie that ruined lives that that leak of extraordinary gentlemen <laughs> well and now in that movie like the bad guy i'm, I'm a little hazy on it because i haven't seen it in like a decade it's the bad but guy the, moriarty yeah oh no I it's the so. phantom of the opera yeah, yeah. isn't it no, isn't it Moriarty, but he looks like the Phantom of the Opera? Oh, maybe it's that. Okay. He steals the blood, or he steals, like, the drug from the Invisible Man's lab, and he okay. injects, like, all these, like, super soldier people with okay. it, and they're all going to be invisible and highly trained soldiers, and they okay. can, like, sneak behind doors and sure. and into political stuff and sneak behind enemy lines. Anyways, it's kind of neat. Oh, I also want to point out in that movie, they find the Invisible Man in the snow (laughs) because he's been burned all over with a flamethrower. And I mean, (laughs) if that's not one way to smoke out an Invisible Man, I don't know. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. So because Jeffrey is certifiably insane at this point or close to it, Dr. Griffin knocks him out by putting some drug in his wine. So some drugs in his wine and Mm -hmm. uh, uh, he ties him to a chair. But... He manages to escape anyways uh, when the cops come calling. He goes back to Cobb's house, kidnaps him at gunpoint, leads him through the front door in a kind of exciting scene where he has to get Cobb to kind of weasel his way past the guards, which he just knocks out anyways. Yeah, I think kind of exciting is a great phrase to use to describe really the entire movie. That's great. I th- <laughs> You're very right. You've hit the nail on the head with that. Jeffrey takes Cobb to the mine. He attempts to get a confession out of Cobb with Mr. Spears in the room, who then, it's a convoluted thing, Cobb tries to kill him, but 
as far as I know, Jeffrey saves him. That's what it looks like in the movie anyways. Jeffrey has him hanging from, like, he has a noose tied around his neck. He's on a chair. Cobb kicks out the chair, and it looks like Jeffrey reaches over and saves him at the last second. Yeah, I mean, so he's not entirely a monster, I guess. But then he well, chases... If, if you're trying to prolong someone's life so that you get a confession out of them and then you'll murder them, I'm not sure it really makes them, you know, a moral subject, I guess. <laughs> you know? You know? Well, <laughs> well, I don't think... Well, I, you know, I think he was planning... Well, never mind. You're right. Because we get the we get the get Carter climax. He's fighting him on that um, coal yeah, on, on the train on the coal thing trolley. Yeah, yeah. So he chases him through the crowds of people at the mine, and cops are just blasting away at thin air, which is pretty cool. And mm-hmm. he chases him onto a coal trolley, and uh, he's got Cobb pinned. But Samson plugs him off of Cobb, and but it's too late for Cobb because he gets tipped over into a giant coal pit with all the coal. And as he's on his deathbed... That looked like a stunt, by the way, the guy falling in there. I don't think that's a dummy. That's a pretty neat stunt. That did look like a stunt, yeah. Because he he had some, like, the arms moved a bit as he was falling. So that's cool. I mean, he falls, what, 20, 30 feet? Like, it's it's a neat stunt. I, I Overall, I like yeah, this scene a lot. I, I think this is a fun climax you know i'm i'm a sucker for a good yeah and, and this coal uh coal automated coal train fight scene whether it's <laughs> indiana jones and the temple of doom or like i mentioned get carter has the 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 climax takes place in the filthy fucking disgusting newcastle upon tyne coal in coal train things and uh yeah it's a coal carts i guess carts not yeah. train because a coal train is a passenger train but um yeah. It's a neat setting. It's exciting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, it's kind of exciting. I'll say that this sequence is actually exciting. This this elevates the movie for me. This climax is more exciting than anything else in the movie, but I don't know if I'd call it exciting. Capital E. Okay. You know? Anyways. Semantics. Cobb's dying of blood loss. On uh, and uh, he confesses. I he confesses to Helen and Doctor Griffin. I in fact did kill Michael. So now they're trying to look for Jeffrey, who's disappeared, and he he's bleeding to death from this gunshot wound, and he's mm-hmm. stolen this clothes off a scarecrow, and he stumbles back to the mine to Doctor Griffin's office. The problem is he can't operate on him. He's gonna he's gonna bleed out, but he just can't see anything. So he walks out, and I love this. He walks out, and he goes, and all the miners are like, oh, how's Jeffrey? And he's like, oh, he's going to die because I can't operate on him. He needs a blood transfusion. Can anybody help? And they're all like, yeah, we can all help. And I don't think that's how blood transfusions work, but I'll, I'll give this movie a pass. Well, yeah, you at the very least, you have to have a matching type, right? I mean. Yeah, yeah. Not just We're like, talking hey, bare take, minimum here. take 150 different coal miners' blood and put it into your body. <laughs> So he gets this transfusion. Also, if we're talking about, you know, health concerns, yeah. taking blood from coal miners, you, you may only live another two or three years, right? Yeah, you get like an immediate transfusion and you die of like black lung a year later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets this transfusion and it turns out that the transfusion is actually the antidote to the invisibility serum because he has enough people's blood in his body that he just becomes visible again 
like not tainted blood, I guess. And then he becomes. And it's it's really sane. it's really neat how they do this. How it it starts with the veins and the arteries, mm-hmm. and then it's the muscles, mm-hmm. and that looks really cool. And then we finally get him, and I think I I like the um the layering of of that effect. It looks really neat. Yeah, and that was that was a great effect. And I'm trying to remember how the original one ended. Did did Claude Rains just reappear? I don't think they did the veins and arteries and then the muscles. I think he just kind of slowly came back all in one. I could be wrong though. It's been a while. Yeah. To clarify, it's not been a while since I've been wrong. It's been a while since I've seen <laughs> the invisible man. Yeah. And uh yeah, that's it. VP wakes up, says hello to Helen, and uh, he's free. He's a free man. He's cleared of any wrongdoing. He's visible, and he's sane. So all's well that ends well. Patrick, your thoughts on The Invisible Man Returns? The movie's okay. I don't find it all that thrilling. I think it's got a couple of very good scenes. I think um, this scene where he torments... Willie Spears in the woods is, is a good deal of fun. Yeah. The scene where Cobb in, in the house discovers that that rat, that Jeffrey is implicating him and then starts just like shooting around is is pretty fun. And then going into the the whole the gassing the place up is is fun. And then the coal scene is fun. I think the rest of the movie it's not a poorly paced movie, but it's just um I think we're lacking those, like, compelling performances. I I don't really... It's weird because it's like this is a fugitive movie where it's Vincent Price is trying to solve his murder, and yet, I don't know, I I just don't feel like the story ever gives that aspect. The movie never gives that aspect of the story as much attention as it should. Like, even, for example, when he's... Even though I said this is a good scene, when he's going after Willie Spears... It's less about getting information from him, and it's more about him just kind of fucking with him and scaring him, you know? He ends up getting the information, of mm-hmm. course, but, but it really is more of just a wacky hijinks scene that ends up giving him information. So I, I don't know. I, I think it's a decent movie, but uh, really, uh, before the climax, I would have said it was like, meh. And then the climax happens, like, okay, this you know this is decent. Jim, what about you? I think it, uh, I don't know if Pales in comparison to The Invisible Man would be the most. Well, uh, it doesn't pale, it, it's trans, <laughs> translucent in comparison. It's translucent in comparison, yeah. <laughs> or trans, transparent, excuse me. Trans, translucent is like semi-transparent, right? You're right. Yeah, it's not, it, it, I pretty much agree with everything you said. I think the most exciting parts of the movie to watch are when the cops are doing things. And by that, I mean specifically when uh, Detective Sampson's on screen or... Yeah. I would have liked him to have gotten more screen time. I don't want to say everybody else does a poor job of acting in this movie. I just think he's a head and shoulders above everybody else for whatever mm-hmm. reason. But uh, he's fantastic. He's a lot of fun to watch. My biggest complaint about this movie is that it almost feels like it doesn't know what it wants to be. It starts out as yeah. a kind of... I can understand that. Fugitive murder mystery. Yes. And then it kind of turns into a sad kind of love story about yeah, this Yeah, there's a, there's a little watching. bit of melodrama there. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, where you have Helen watching Jeffrey kind of slip into insanity. Mm-hmm. And then it ends as 
an action movie, but only for the last five minutes, maybe? Yeah. All that action is just people falling over in a crowd and <laughs> and cops firing off guns and then a guy falling off or falling into a coal pile. I, I can accept, like, kind of minimal action like that if you know if that's what we have to work with you know just on the premise of the movie or Mm. the you know that there's an invisible guy and so any fight between someone and an invisible person is just going to be that person struggling by themselves on a little minecart thing i can accept that but so, so i do find that stuff exciting but there's not a whole lot of it and i do agree i think that the the changes in tones don't work that well. I think if you look at the original Invisible Man, they worked better because that also had the the aspects of melodrama with the fiance character mm-hmm. and stuff. But I think those worked better really just because Claude Rains' performance made them work. And I don't think Vincent Price is on here in this movie is on Claude Rains' level. And I, I'll also say I would have liked a better villain here too. You know what I mean? I think I think yeah. we've got, we're a little lacking in the villain department, and maybe that's just the difference of like the Invisible Man works better as a villain than as a hero. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and that's the strange thing. The Invisible Man in this in this movie, I don't want to say he's constantly skirting the line of hero and villain, but he's coming close enough to the villainous to to, to a kind of villainous area. And that's something else that doesn't really work for me. If you're going to make him a hero, make him a hero. If you're going to make him a villain, make him a villain. Yeah, well, again, I think they can make him kind of a tortured villain, like an anti-hero, but I I don't think Price's performance works with that. I don't think he makes that, if that's what they're going for, I don't Mm -hmm. think they, I think it could work. I just think it doesn't here. So I sort of understand what you're saying, but I want well, to push back on it just just a tiny bit. I also have an issue with like the comedy in it. The comedy in it isn't very funny. Now I don't expect it to be like hilarious laugh out loud stuff, you know. But the original Invisible right. Man, when there is that hijink scene where Claude Rains runs through the village, takes off on the bicycle, and it's like knocking things over, like that was enjoyable to watch for the effects, for his performance, it, for the original. Just Invisible Man makes me laugh. It it makes yeah. me laugh. This movie, I can understand a few things that are kind of funny, but I'm not. I agree. I'm not laughing, and I yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I will say, I mean, two scenes in particular, which might also only be the, or might be the only two comedic scenes. One is that bumbling constable coming into the cottage. I couldn't stand that actor for whatever reason. I thought it was just a little too ridiculous, and then also this kind of bumbling groundskeeper, too bumbling bumbling people in the same scene it was just like it was just too much to handle oh yeah yeah because the the um constable because he was on the phone and the guy told him make sure you don't let him take his clothes off and he's like oh he's with a woman he would never take his clothes off I, i found that stuff kind of funny just because it's like oh, it's the 1940s and we can't have sex in movies. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. It's almost like funny yeah. in, in a way that it's dated. <laughs> yeah. I, I did kind of enjoy that. But yeah, I, I agree with you. And then even the hijink scene in this one with... Um, Spears. Spears. It started out as kind of funny and you know, when he's fiddling with the car and he's drunk and whatever. But then when he chases him into the woods, it should have a kind of scarier tone. You know, it should be a little darker because at one point he like pushes his head into a puddle you know like he's tormenting this guy and he's choking him with his necktie for christ's sake you know and it should be scarier but 
after he sits up from his head being in the puddle, he goes, oh, I must have dozed off. Oh, I'm awake now. Ho, ho, ho. You know? <laughs> it's right, like, yeah. that's not funny. This guy, <laughs> this guy's kind of half insane and he might be actually trying to kill you. You know? <laughs> yeah. I understand. So that's, that's really all I have to say about The Invisible Man. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was all right. It was. Yeah, it was a decent movie. A you're right. It wasn't, film. uh, on un- yeah, it wasn't unenjoyable to watch, but it was certainly a far cry from the first Invisible Man. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think the Invisible, the original Invisible Man, could watch it basically any any time. This movie, probably not going to go out of my way to watch it again. You know, if it if it's on Turner Classic Movies, maybe yeah. I'll turn it on. But yeah, that's kind of where I stand on that. So you want to talk about a movie that I will go out of my way to watch again? You know what, Patrick? I was just about to say the exact same thing. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, this this is surprising to me because I thought I didn't expect you to enjoy Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity because you were you were teasing me, you were giving me shit about it. You did, you said you didn't believe it was a real movie, <laughs> and I think you were mostly focusing That's on true. the title, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay, but well, here's the thing: B movies can have some really goofy fun titles you know we already did spooky spookies is terrible it's a fun title (laughs) another classic i would say it's more in line with this than it is with spookies is hollywood chainsaw hookers you know they're they're (laughs) selling you on that title and where you the title you know it's going to be sleaze yeah you know it's going to have chainsaws and you 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 get the impression okay it's going to be tongue-in-cheek kind of funny here with slave girls from beyond infinity if you just had had a movie called Slave Girls, that could be 70s Jesus Franco <laughs> Euro trash exploitation. But the From Beyond Infinity part yeah. not only gives it obviously a sci-fi feel, but also I think kind of a tongue-in-cheek feel to the title where this movie, I, I wouldn't call it a comedy, but it, it obviously is not taking itself too seriously and that that's the right way to go for a movie like this, I think. Absolutely. Okay, so this is a Charles Band produced film. His you his name does not appear in the credits, just like it didn't with Doctor Alien, but this film reeks of Charles Band. We've got some <laughs> actors that he worked Ew. with a lot. And and it's I mean it's directed by Ken Dixon, who I, I don't know this guy. I don't know what he did. But anyways, it is one of roughly 7,000 films that's based on the most dangerous game story. This is a story that <laughs> you and I talked about a little bit yeah. when we talked about King Kong because at RKO Studios, while they were shooting King Kong, they were also shooting The Most Dangerous Game, and one mm-hmm. of the directors of King Kong directed that movie. So The Most Dangerous Game, it's basically it's a um, thriller adventure story about a guy that hunts people on like an island or something, right? I know yeah. I've read it. It's I've read it probably when I was in high school or something. But it's been adapted into a bunch of things, you know, especially in the science fiction realm. There, you know, it's Star Trek has done their kind of thing on it. The Outer Limits ha- had a most dangerous game episode. You could maybe even draw a connection to something like The Hunger Games. You know, there's some more yeah, modern I mean- things like that or The Running Man. We also kind of have already covered a movie based around a similar sort of storyline, plot line. Yeah, Ready or Not. Yeah, Ready or Not has similarities. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. 
Okay, so so where to start with this movie? So the reason I like this movie, I mean, A, let's just right off the bat, Elizabeth Caton's in it. Elizabeth Caton is like, it, it's her and Monique Gabriel, but she is one of my two favorite 80s, 90s B-movie crushes. She's she's the lead here. She's uh, one of the two slave girls from Beyond Infinity. Yeah. She's amazing. She has three outfits in the movie. She has <laughs> bikini loincloth thing, kind of, again, sort of Raquel Welchian. And she's got a white nightie, and she's got naked. Those are her three outfits. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think some great, great costume design here. I'll, I'll give credit to whoever did did that. <laughs> some but, great costume design. <laughs> but really, I, th- I think the reason I enjoy a movie like this, and I mean, granted, I'm talking about this movie positively, and I've talked about Charles Band positively in the past. Don't get me wrong; I've seen a ton of shit from him. I've, t- I've seen a ton of movies like this that I don't like. But what I like about this movie. It does the bare minimum of, like, everything you need it to do. Mm-hmm. The sets are passable. Like, they're they're passable in, like, a low-budget sense. You, if you go to the theater to watch Dune and you have sets like this, you're going to be fucking disappointed. <laughs> but, like, in a movie like this, I think it works. It's passable in the same sense that the original Star Trek sets were passable and the first, ser- the, the first um, season of TNG... Their sets were passable for the most part. Like you know what I'm talking about. Like it that's has a, that. Yeah, that's a, a, a decent comparison, I think. Well, it's also got that same kind of vibe, because you hit a point in the 80s. Because when did this movie come out? It was 80. 87. Yeah, so you hit a point in the early to late 80s where everything that is kind of centered around space has some vibes going to it and it's like star trek vibes that they're kind of aping off of star wars vibes or alien vibes yeah and this one plays up the kind of star yeah, galaxy trek of terror and, forbidden world or like very yeah. much in the alien vein and this one i would say plays up the star trek and star wars vibes yeah i think that's fair i think um although we do get a, a weird ass fucking creature i can't say it resembles a xenomorph but it's inspired or, and that's another it, thing that or like, it looks like the Borg. Yes, it actually does. This predates the Borg, or does it? I mean, I think TNG started around eighty-seven, but I don't think you get the Borg right away there. Yeah, so there is a there is a Borg quality, but there's another thing too with the creatures, with the robots. Yes, they're bad costumes, but they're charmingly bad. You know, there there was effort put into them. There's craft put into them. There just isn't really the budget there to make them look great because the yeah. design isn't bad. It's just the execution isn't great, and when they move, it's very clearly a person in a costume moving. But I like that they have robot sound effects when the when when a person turns his head or something, <laughs> and it's like it's very clearly yeah. just a person, yeah. but they have the little robot <laughs> sound effect. So I I like those aspects of, of of this movie. It's on par with like '90s kids movies that feature like a robot or something. You know what I mean? Yes, um, and it's got a lot more tits than those. So like really. <laughs> This movie's got everything. This is great, yeah. Best movie. Anyways, let's let's talk a little bit about what actually happens here. I don't think we're going to spend too much time on this because it's Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity. But we have two slaves, <laughs> two bikini-clad slaves. These are, what's her name, Daria, Darla? And, and Tisa? 
Oh yeah, Tisa. Yeah. Which not a fan of that name. Yeah. So Daria, that's Elizabeth Caton, and Tisa, who is Cindy Beale. Don't know anything about her. She's pretty woman too. She's not. She doesn't have the same Elizabeth Caton qualities as Elizabeth Caton, I would argue. But <laughs> they escape from their prison. They steal a spaceship or hijack a spaceship. And again, this is I think very clever. Clever. You know, whatever. But another thing that I like about this movie is that they didn't have the budget to have like a spaceship like exterior so you just yeah. see it in a matte painting and then and then mm-hmm. you see like a model flying around and then you see the interior set and i'm like okay good that's perfect that's fine it works exactly. i also liked how yes. in the facility that they escape from those people are just straight up wearing boba fett costumes Dude, i i know the best part about that but it's is... like fat boba fett costumes well, it's, it's, it's like, like book of boba, boba fett boba fett actually What's that? Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. <laughs> I yeah, wrote it's, that it's like down. short and fat Boba <laughs> Fett costume. So, like the helmet is just like too big, too fat, too wide. I like, and I like instead of going with like a uh, Boba Fett color, because it's literally a Boba Fett costume. They just painted it all black. <laughs> oh yeah. So, so it's almost like a cross between Boba Fett and Darth Vader. And it's just a two dudes with stashes under their, under their costumes. So after they escape, they, they escape in, in what's essentially a lifeboat. So they can't get far. But they do crash land onto a planet that's near them. Now, how do they achieve the crash landing? Well, we don't see it. We just meet back up with Elizabeth <laughs> Caton on the beach. Because why not? <laughs> and she's the been separated. perfect place to meet up with her. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's either the beach or the bedroom. It's one of the two with her. Or the Vice <laughs> Academy, because she's in four of those movies. So... <laughs> She makes her way to a house, a mansion, a castle, and meets her host named Zed and finds that Tisa's already there, as are two other people. These are, I think, brother and sister? They are, yeah. And these are uh, the Brink Stevens is the sister. She plays Shala, and then there's Rick. (laughs) And so so at first the host is very gracious, but eventually Rick pulls Daria aside and says, listen, this guy, we, we used to have five or six other people staying here, but he goes out and he hunts them at night. He's like, the only, the only reason he hasn't hunted me yet is I've been pretending to be sick or something. And and she doesn't really believe him, but eventually comes to believe him. And then so the rest of the movie is basically an attempt at an escape. We, we get a little bit of hunting. There's not probably as much as you might is, expect. There isn't, I don't know. But I mean, they're, they're setting traps up outside. So it's got like a Rambo vibe. Yeah. One scene I really enjoyed was after Rick and Daria had been setting traps up outside, they come back inside to her bedroom and they know that Zed is outside listening in on them or like Mm -hmm. ready to see like what they're doing or something. So they pretend to be having sex. And then he's just like looking in, he peeps (laughs) for a bit and then he turns and leaves. And the second he leaves... Daria pushes Rick so hard off the bed that he falls and like hits his head and he's like in pain and then I swear to god within two seconds before a word has even been spoken after this like fake love making scene they proceed to make actual love yeah it's amazing that scene's my favorite I love the the laziness of of like uh there's no genuine connection between these two characters it's just they're they're having sex because we want to show off the goods in this movie you know there's really no other reason for it and i like that i like the creativity there one of my other favorite scenes 
I like when uh, Tisa knows that those two are out, like, traipsing around the woods. And uh, so she uses her womanly wiles (laughs) to lure the robot out to the beach to watch her strip down and go swimming. And this... (laughs) This robot's like, yeah, sure, I'll take a, I'll take a peek, I'll come out with you. And and this is this is funny too because like you'll have this in in film and television where like oh a character has to pretend to seduce someone to distract them or something, but <laughs> yeah. she's distracting a robot. Who, I mean, yeah. it works. The robots <laughs> are effectively distracted, but did she have reason to believe it would work? None. They're whatsoever. robots. I mean, maybe maybe she figured they're actually people in robot costumes, which she she's just correct about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is a low budget film. Let's let's make no mistake about that. These are probably, re, I would guess, recycled sets. I think the woods, the forest, the jungle, whatever you want to call that, looks pretty good. Well, it all it all looks Star Trekky from like that first yes. season of TNG. And yeah, I, I think that's fair. And, like, a scene that really made me think about it was right after uh, everybody's sitting at, like, the dinner table with Zed. And he yeah. pulls out that weird instrument thing that he's playing. And mm-hmm. they do that classic trick. I don't even know what to call it. The, the Like, the panorama of lights on the screen. You know what I'm talking about? Like, they superimpose yeah, sure. all these lights onto the film. And that I was just like, oh, yes. I have seen this many times. You're taking some tricks from Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, and, and, of course, the mansion is... Very eclectically decorated, lots of bears and lions and stuff like that, a lot of stuffed animals like that. Yeah. And we eventually get the reveal of heads of the humans he has been hunting and killing. And, well, you know, they look a little, maybe more than a little paper mache y. Yeah. You know, they don't <laughs> yeah, look yeah. great because we eventually see Rick's head on there and that kind of looks awful. But, okay, so. What else happens in this movie? Well, Brink Stevens gets raped. I wish this is the only movie that I could say that about, but I've probably seen <laughs> her get raped oh, no. more on film than any other actress. Or it's uh. her or Linnea. It's one of the two. Eventually, when Zed figures out that they know what's going on, he has them all down chained on this pillar, which is, you know, an iconic image, I think, because they're in the the bikini loincloths and, you know, yeah. it's uh, classic stuff. And then eventually he goes about <laughs> on this hunting thing. And he, and he I think he, he says something about there's like a forbidden realm or no, the, fa- the forbid- phantom zone, the phantom zone. Excuse yeah. me. Yes, it's the forbidden zone in Planet of the Apes, but it's very much the same thing. Except it's not really. I mean, we see why it's kind of forbidden later on but it's it's also not like if he tells them not to go there when they're trying to be when he's trying to hunt them like why wouldn't they go there yeah i don't know so he's hunting he's got his crossbow that shoots lasers which is pretty cool like chewbacca's crossbow this guy pulls it off better than chewbacca though let's be honest (laughs) yeah i agree and then okay so brink stevens gets killed and then the other two make it to the Phantom Zone, where there's this, like, ancient temple thing. But there's also these monsters. Well, no, hold on a who... second. Hold on a second. Well, okay. Let's talk about how they show up to this ancient temple, and they can immediately read these weird, like, hieroglyphic inscriptions. Yeah. And then... Well, you have a problem with that? No, you're right. I don't. Never mind. Let's no, I mean, it, listen, we're t- it's Slave Girls <laughs> from Beyond Infinity. It's not Dune. 
okay? We're 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 not dealing with some <laughs> you know incredibly well thought out world here. This this movie is what it is. And to be fair about these women, yes, I'm pretty sure when they crash landed to this planet, they didn't know what planet it was. So in theory, they shouldn't know anything about it or know anything about the cultures there. But to be fair to them, we don't know where they're from. That's you true. Know, are they yeah. are they Earth women? Are they Mars women? Are they Pluto all, women? All we know is that they're slave girls from beyond infinity. Right. They're from beyond infinity, which is key, you know, to to infinity and beyond, you know. <laughs> someone someone at Pixar was a fan yeah. of this movie, which good for them. <laughs> right, right. My other favorite part of this movie is how similar Zed looks to Christian Bale. In, I was thinking in about the remake that. of yeah. Psycho, right? Or in, this in is American a great. Psycho. Yeah, this is. Uh, you just give him a, a a poncho, and I mean, he he, <laughs> yeah, he really does have a Christian Bale because he's got like kind of the slick back hair, right? He's he's yep. like an uglier version of Christian Bale, I guess. Yeah, he's like discount Christian Bale. Yeah, and I mean, very. I mean, very discount Christian Bale. Because even, <laughs> by the way, in in eighty seven, you want to know what Christian Bale was doing in eighty seven? He appeared in a fucking Spielberg movie. He was a kid, and he was making better movies than this. So you know, good for him, Christian Bale. Early start to his career. He's in Henry V with uh, with director uh, and star Kenneth Branagh in nineteen eighty nine. One of the greatest movies of all time. Wow. Yeah, Christian Bale, quite the career, even even as a child. Uh, I don't believe he appears in any Charles Band films, but I would <laughs> love to be proven wrong. Maybe he's in The Killer Eye Halloween Haunt. I don't think I've seen that one yet. <laughs> Viewers, let us know. Or listeners, let us know. So yeah, yeah, there is a, there's a very much a Christian Bale vibe. And I'm going to say, not that I love his performance or anything, but I think he's good enough. I think he's intimidating here. I mean, it's well, not I... a Christian Bale performance, but he's, you know, he's fine. I think he nails weirdo on a planet who is malicious. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> weirdo on a planet. You know, there's 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 the there's the three great roles. There's the the tragic hero. There's the Machiavelli, and there's the weirdo on the planet. Well, you know what I mean, right? Like he really nails that. He's got it. He's got it going for him. You know, one of the uh, great weirdo on a planet roles in film history. I'll give you that one. I'll give you that. Can we make a shirt that just says "Weirdo on a Planet"? You, you're always the one mentioning making shirts. You do it. Okay, get I off will. your lazy ass and do it. <laughs> I'll send it to you. You can put it on Twitter. <laughs> All right. Anyway, <laughs> so we're back at the ancient temple, the Phantom Zone Temple. They run into like a zombie thing, and this is one of the bigger laughs I had in the movie, where they just like. I think they shoot it or something, and it just, like, falls over just, like, really suddenly, and it was just very funny to me. Yeah, yeah. But the thing in, in this temple, this temple has monsters in it, and but it also has guns. So we get a really cool shot of the two women with their big laser guns aiming it, like, towards the camera, and then they kind of uh, swing away from that. Yeah, so we've got a... How would you describe this monster? Well, you said Borg earlier. He's he's Borg. He's like part machine, part creature, I guess. Anybody familiar with the Lord of the Rings, the Return of the King, another Lord of the Rings okay. reference here. There's a character in it named Gothmog. And he's Oh, is like that the, the orc that looks like Yoda? 
Sort of, like but if he's Yoda like, was left like in a really microwave. Face. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, <laughs> that's, and, that's uh, <laughs> I've always called him Yoda. He's got the Yoda um, ears. Yeah, he. This cyborg thing looks like that, but cyborg. Okay. And that's how yeah, this cyborg. <laughs> and it should be noted, of course, these creatures, these wonderful creatures, brought to us by the great, the late great John Carl Beekler, who we've talked about. He did. He brought us the Ghoulies. He brought us the reanimator. I mean, this guy is an effects maestro, but he usually worked with a much smaller budget than the other great effects people like Rick Baker or Screaming Mad George did. But I think he still, that's that's the thing I appreciate out of him. He's still able to get pretty good product regardless of what budget he has to work with. Because again, robot costumes, they're not great. They look like costumes, but the design is pretty neat. And then this... um cyborg monster thing i think is even better than the robots and, and it's more convincing he's got like a laser hand or a laser For gun sure, yeah. like attached to his hand or something it's it's good it's satisfying yeah. it's a good it's awesome it's a good monster not exactly a show stealer i mean it's tough to be when elizabeth caton is in the film and has a nude scene so but you know <laughs> as far as monsters go it's pretty good well you know what it nails with these monsters it's that or like with, with these costumes or these creatures is that they don't look human you know what I mean? Right. Like yeah. a lot of really crappy, low-budget movies have crap costumes that is clearly something just draped over. <laughs> Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's just something draped over a human. You know, and this is this is this looks way better. This kind of elevates the movie. I wouldn't say a whole, oh, like up to another level, but it definitely elevates it a little. Yeah, this this moves it from you know four and a half stars to five stars. I think I think it, I'll give it an extra half a star due to the John Carl Beekler work. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. No, and I'd be down for that. We reach our exciting climax, which is back at the castle mansion thing, and it's the two women against Zed and. Mm-hmm. His two robots, the entire movie, we never see more than two robots. You'd think he'd have more, but again, (laughs) limited budget. And then the monster also shows up, and the monster doesn't really belong. The monster doesn't really have motivation. He's just kind of there to wreck shit. But this is a lot of fun because this is, it's um, it's Elizabeth Caton fighting Zed with, like, swords. Well, she shows up dressed like a gladiator. Like, I don't know. Oh, yeah, she's got the the, the shield thing, like, on her arm. That's so, so cool. Yeah, it's awesome. And then yeah. I and she's fighting him and then the robots step in. And what's what's the other one? Tisa, right? She picks up yeah, like Yeah, Tisa takes out the robots. Yeah, and she picks up like a chest plate from the wall and bounces the laser from one robot into the other robot's heart, which kills so the awesome. dead, which is great. And then she also drops the thing and then thankfully the other robot doesn't shoot at her because she is defenseless at that moment, but whatever. <laughs> Yeah. The best part is, though, when the the cyborg shows up, beats the crap out of Zed, and then goes to kill the ladies. Uh, What's her name? I forget. What's what's, what's the main one's name again? Daria. Thank you. She picks up, like, a lightning mace. (laughs) Yeah. And just cracks it over this cyborg, and it vaporizes it. It's awesome. Yeah. You're telling me that shit isn't the most exciting thing you've ever seen? I mean, again, this movie's on a curve. Like, for what this movie could pull off, I think it's incredibly engaging and exciting. Absolutely. This isn't a Terminator 2 James Cameron-level action sequence. I get it. 
it's a Ken Dixon Charles Band action sequence. <laughs> but it's so cool. But I think they pulled off something fun, to, something engaging to look at on screen. Well, and because, I mean, the, the most exciting part for me was you've, like, throughout the movie, that lightning mace was, like, on the table in front of Zed. As soon as she picks it up, you're like, oh, this is going to be neat. She's just going to crack it over the head of this silly-looking cyborg. But they just, like, a big crack of light, and the thing vaporizes. You don't have no clue what's coming next out of this movie, and that was exciting. Oh, yeah. Anyways, with Zed badly injured at this point, he limps his way to his throne room, and the other two women escape on a spaceship. And once they are far enough away, then Zed blows the planet up. He, like, presses a self-destruct destruct button. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know if he's trying to kill them also or if it's just a pure suicide thing. I don't, I don't really understand, but I also don't care that much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways... That's Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity. So, Jim, do you have an interpretation of the ending there? No. No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it ended. Uh, I did like... It ended. Yeah, I did like uh, how when they got... Like, there's all kinds of, like, silly, spacey, sci-fi jibber-jabber going on. Like, in the beginning, uh, when they're chained in this <laughs> in this cell. Uh, hold on, I wrote it down. It's this great line. They're trying to get it break out of these cuffs and then like open this door. But one of them says the line, if we can reverse the polarity of the cuffs, we can steal a starship. Like what the fuck does that even mean? But it's a great it line. It means you know exactly what, I mean? what we saw it that it means. They well, exactly. steal a starship. Exactly. You're right. I guess. But then, I don't know. Then at the well, end. They don't really steal, steal a starship so much because they say it's like a lifeboat. It's like yeah. a, it's basically an escape pod that they steal, but whatever. But then at the end of the movie, when they hop into Zed's spaceship, I think one of the first things, I think Tisa says it. She goes, oh, did we have to take something so, oh, what was it? She was talking about like the luxury. She was referencing like the luxury of the spaceship. She said, oh, do we have to take something so conspicuous or something? And it's like, what? We don't know what this spaceship looks like. There's no like... <laughs> No, there's yeah, no, we know we don't see the exterior. Yeah, there's no like level. There's but the no, like, interior, there's like level. some zebra print or something in yeah, the interior of this it. one. We didn't have that before, I don't think. No, it's like it's like a it's like it's a the same fucking set, I'm sure. But they yeah. they dressed it up nice. <laughs> yeah, they just pulled half of it out and put a couch in it with some zebra print. But yeah, I think I think it was a a really enjoyable movie. I was certainly engaged from beginning to end. It is a classic crappy B movie, but it's kind of quaint and lovable in its execution, if that makes sense. Yes. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think it's um like I like I've been saying, it's not my favorite B movie by any means. It's not like for for one, a lot of my favorite B movies are funny because they're so awful. This movie isn't really that, but but it is mm-hmm. charming. It is it is quaint. And I like a film that kind of makes me feel like I could have made it in a, in a few aspects, you know. Yes, um, yeah. I don't I don't think I know anyone in my personal life as attractive as Elizabeth Caton, so you know, I can't say I'd have as good a cast. But I don't know. I I feel like I could have <laughs> built these sets in a way, you know. I feel like I could have built this robot costume a little bit, you know, if I just had the time. And I like that that they or pulled off something script, that's genuinely you know? entertaining 
with all the limitations that they have. And you see the limitations on screen. You know they're not working with much, you know, but they they do what they need to do. I think, like, in the first escape pod scene where they're flying into the atmosphere of the new planet, we don't have much of a budget here, but we get some red lighting on the inside, the, Mm -hmm. the set of the inside of the spaceship, and we get some smoke outside the windshield, and we get a little bit of, like, um... The, the little kind of glowing light on the outside, you know, suggesting fire, like, you know, yeah. entering the atmosphere. And I'm like, for what it is, that's pretty good, you know? Like, I, I would, again, these effects and stuff, if I'm watching a Star Wars movie, I expect better. But if I'm watching a Charles <laughs> Band movie, I, I got more than what I expected. We keep on referencing the quality of the sets, the costumes, etc. You can tell by looking at it that they don't have much of a budget, but none of them look bad, though. It's a it's se. a relative quality. It's not quality yeah. with a capital Q. It's it's, <laughs> it's quality with a capital Z. Mm, I don't know. They what the hell? They did I mean they did what they could. <laughs> they did what they had to. And they made it work, and I think the outcome of all their work really is, is is fine, and it's something that I would gladly watch again. Yeah, and at the end of the day, Elizabeth Caton is hot. Like, that, that's, that's <laughs> I'm not going to lie, that's a big part of the appeal of this movie. Yeah, I'll agree with you on that one, for sure. <laughs> so, Jim, which of these two films do you prefer? Slave Girls, for sure. I mean, I assume you're going to have a similar answer to me, if not almost the exact same. I think pound for pound, minute for minute, Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity was a much more exciting, thrilling movie. And it even did the kind of mystery aspect better than The Return of the Invisible or The Invisible Man Returns. Not that I have anything against Vincent Price or anybody in that movie. It felt like a lot of the actors weren't, I don't want to say doing their best, but it just felt kind of lazy or, or, or tired, I guess, is, is a perhaps a, a better word to use, other than the fellow who played Detective Sampson, Cecil where Calloway. in Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity, they're not the best actors, but you can tell that they're trying really hard, and I think that shines through, and everything about Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity just comes together to make a genuinely fun and exciting and silly movie, whereas The Invisible Man Returns is just tiring. I'm going to agree, ultimately, with your pick. I do prefer Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity. I'm going to very much disagree with a lot of the reasoning. I I do not think Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity pulled off the mystery aspect better than The Invisible Man Returns, even though the mystery aspect wasn't that strong in The Invisible Man Returns. I mean, what is it in Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity? It's the most dangerous game. We've seen that story a thousand times. We know where it's going. I think, ultimately, just beginning to end, Invisible Man Returns is just more entertaining for me. I I don't want to say there's not a dull moment, but there's fewer dull moments. And, you know, neither film overstays its welcomes. You know, Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity is about an hour and a half Visible Man Returns about about an hour and twenty, so they're both relatively short movies. 
I do. Th- I do think again. I, I, I. This sort of agrees with what you were saying, but it's not that the acting is poor in The Invisible Man Returns, but I don't think it quite works for some of the things that the movie is trying to do. And yeah, I won't say the. I, I agree. The acting Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity is not great, but everybody does what they need to do. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I. I just prefer the movie. I think it's more enjoyable. I think The Invisible Man Returns is fairly dull, really, outside of those three scenes that I talked about. I will push back a bit on the on the mystery aspect, because, I mean, I do agree with you in the sense that, yeah, it's, it's a story that we've seen a million times. However, there was at least a glimmer of hope that that story wasn't going to turn out to be the exact same. You know, like this Zed character could have actually been. <laughs> I'm not a sure there guy. was for me, well, but you know, okay. Because again, he was just some weirdo on a planet, right? I mean, um, oh, yeah, that's that's the if that fits the profile of most dangerous game. It it does, you it know, does, antagonist, doesn't it? But there's a possibility on a that he wasn't. You know, listen, it's either it's either it's either the most dangerous game. If you get a weirdo on a planet like that, it's either most dangerous game, <laughs> which I, I I just thought of another example of like the recent fantasy island movie is kind of a most dangerous game premise i would say it's either going to be that or it's going to be the island of dr moreau in both cases i've seen thousands of of adaptations of those two stories so so i i for me there wasn't much of a hope that it wouldn't be something like that but whatever like i thought if, if the film had any twists it would maybe be that the robots used to be people or something like that and again we go like a dr moreau but with robots yeah or that the or that the creatures in the phantom zone used to be people or whatever. yeah except the the creatures were such a small part of the movie i mean i i understand the creature is like the first fucking thing we see in the movie basically because there's that it's not a cold open because it comes after the credits but the opening scene is the creature hunting a woman and then um zed steps in and takes care of business but but then you don't see the creatures for a long time the phantom zone is kind of underdeveloped and then the creature just pops up and he's not even the first of the phantom zone monsters to pop up because there's that weird zombie thing too but whatever you know it's fine movie's entertaining it's not great oh you're right <laughs> i forgot about it's this. it's yeah there's there's the little zombie guy i told you that was my biggest laugh yeah, and they when just he just kind of hits the deck the throat. <laughs> yeah. so jim yeah how do you think this holds up as a drive-in double feature oh man i was gonna ask you um i don't well think i mean does. you will ask me eventually but we yeah, both right. need you're to answer right, this question but, rip uh, that I, band-aid off i okay i'll rip it off i don't think it does i don't think it does really hold up as a as a double feature and again it's not that and i i think really the main problem is the invisible man returns with this i just think it's too slow even though like it's not a super slow movie but it just feels too slow too perhaps 1940s to be paired with an 80s space adventure movie uh, directive video (laughs) piece of shit yeah (laughs) yeah full of women getting their tits out you know but and again you know i i just think i would be too tired to care about (laughs) slave girls from beyond infinity after watching the invisible man returns but that's also just me i don't have really have a problem with the invisible man returns i just don't think it would work well opposite it how about you i don't feel too strongly but i am going to disagree I think um, we, we, you know, in terms of similarities, we've got kind of fugitive on the run stories with both films. But the big difference is Invisible Man Returns. 
though I would say more of a comedy than Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity, also more serious, just by nature of the filmmaking isn't a complete joke. So we have that wrap up, and then immediately we get like sex appeal and Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity, and it's just women in bikinis the entire movie. And then I'm like, okay, yeah. And I mean, like you're saying, Logo, you're too tired to, like, no, you're not. You, you immediately wake <laughs> up when you see Elizabeth Cate, and let's be honest. So, yeah, I don't think it's a great double feature. I don't think either of these films are great, quite frankly, but I think for what they are, I think they complement each other in in this kind of the sci-fi thriller adventure kind of goofy way. So here's what we've got next week. So I will likely have a special guest, but that hasn't been confirmed yet. I'm hoping it works out because I've got a fear and loathing in Las Vegas and a Hunter S. Thompson expert in, you know, among my acquaintances and We will be talking about Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, the Johnny Depp film, as well as Hellfest, the 2018 Haunted House Amusement Park Festival set slasher film, which I think I may have been the only person on earth to see that one in the theater. (laughs) So it'll be exciting to revisit that. So probably a special guest, but if things don't work out, Jim, I hope you will enjoy watching those films with me. Don't lie to me. You want the special guest. I just said if it doesn't work out, I hope. Jesus. Um, so, oh, well, anyways, um, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Drive-In Podcast. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash Revenge of the Drive-In. Check us out on Instagram. Be sure to rate us on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on if you have the ability to. And, yeah, we look forward to you joining us next week. And, Jim, thanks for joining me. Patrick, as always, thanks for having me. Listeners, thanks for listening. Take it easy.